And he didn't ever shoot with tripod, which was kind of cool. Um, but he, but he did have people hold the camera like off to the side of him. Tripods are for wussies. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Big show, big show today. Number 20, two zero. It is. We're almost legal. Uh, <laughs> we can already vote though. <laughs> not that it's going to do any good. <laughs> oh, not in New York or California. <laughs> that's right. That's right. It's already been decided. Hey, this is on Taking Pictures, weekly podcast. We discuss the art, the science, the philosophy of making images, making photographs. Uh, my name is Jeffrey Sidoris from fadeandblurred.com. And uh, all the way on the other side of the country, Bill Wadman. Keep going. Fancy editorial portrait photographer. You're very plosive today. Who am I really? Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm on location. Uh I have no internet at my house. So uh I'm I'm I've taken a little field trip to Nikki's house and I'm recording from there. So I apologize apologize if I have plosives. I don't have my pop filter with it's me. It's all right, just you know, get a little off access and I think you'll be fine. Okay. I'm a little I'm a little off today. Okay. I, I, you are, well, you're off axis. You mean off axis, right? Yeah. Right. And a little off. Um, so, so uh, we, how you doing? I, I'm good. Okay. There's a, there's a lot of stuff going on today. Yes. Um, and, and I go back and forth whether I think we should talk about the stuff we have on our list or we should talk about some other stuff. Maybe we could talk about both. Work a little bit in. Yeah. Would you prefer, you want to start with sort of follow up y kind of stuff? Uh, sure. Uh, I, I would like to at least address Rick's email and, and say, we'll get to it. Yes. Okay. Do you want to, you want to yeah, take so, a look on that? Well, yeah, Rick, Rick wrote us, uh, an email listener, Rick Paulson. Yeah. Friend of the show. I like the whole friend of the show thing. I do like that. Friend of the show, Rick. Paulson. That does sound good. Thank you, Rick. Yeah. See, uh, basically he said, uh, do limits inspire creativity? Uh, for example, Woody Allen still writes on his old electric typewriter. His friend Joan does all her, her newspaper articles in pencil and paper. Uh, photographer Pal still uses film with his pinhole camera. And then there's whole things about like just putting limitations up and seeing how you create stuff within those limitations. Sure. This is absolutely true. And I have done it myself, which I've talked about a few times, but we yep. can, I think that this is, that's something to discuss. Yeah, um, I think it could be a whole show. That's, that's a great topic. Um, at least not, maybe not a whole show, but a, a big portion of a show. Yeah. So I think we're going to we're going to put that aside for the moment, okay. uh, just because there um, it's a big one, and there's other more timely things this week. Sure. Um, but thank you, Rick, and and we'll, we will do it. Yeah, we'll be back. Um, so a few other things we got. Uh, somebody sent in uh, this photographer called Disfarmer. Right. I looked at the site. What do you think of this? Um, I like it. It's, okay. it's good. Okay. I like the work. Apparently this guy was a photographer 1884 to 1959 and he ended up uh, sort of his last name was Meyer, which apparently in German means farmer, but he didn't want to be a farmer. So he took the name Disfarmer instead of Meyer and started taking pictures of uh Arkansas farmers and stuff during the depression. 
Is that right. pretty much right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, similar uh, to what we've talked about before with with Dorothea Lange and Walker Evans, but right. these are more sort of staged portraits rather than on location type of thing. Is, is that yeah? They fair? are staged. I mean, they're they're staged in the sense that they're studio, right? I don't know that I would say that they're staged in the sense of. You know, that they were, I think that they just had people come in and sit down and take pictures of them. Sure. Not, I, I didn't mean stage, like, let's have them do hair and makeup and, okay. you know, yeah. can you dirty them up a little so so this works? Yeah, so I in, don't mean that. In some ways, they are what, I tend to prefer more documentary kind of photos when it comes to this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think these are good examples of that. Um. You could apparently you can buy these prints for eight hundred dollars. Eight hundred dollars, right? How much do you get for? What do you how big of a thing do you get for eight hundred dollars? Um, and he used window light, and uh, they were uh, they're they're pretty great. Some of these black and white photos. We'll put the link in the show notes. Eight and a half by eleven. Eight and a half by eleven for eight hundred dollars. I'm in the wrong business. <laughs> I need to start selling. Apparently, eight and a half and eleven. Yeah, this is Nick Bedford who sent this in. He's a, yeah. he's a good guy. Uh, right? I, I like them. They're, they're interesting. Um, don't do it for you though, huh? I, well, I, you know, without the context of the individuals, they don't have as much impact for me. I'm a big fan of, of finding out the story or, or the, you know, the context behind the photograph to, uh, to give it more impact for me. Okay. You know, I want to know what what the people's state is. What's what's going on with this family? What what's what happened to them? You know, right. So this is too um, cut off. Maybe, yeah, a little a little far removed. It it becomes for me. It becomes a little more sterile because they're just sort of presented. Here are some photos of you know migrants or poor people or whatever they're they're you know the the they're being presented as, but without that backstory. Um, and I feel the same way about a lot of uh, Lang's work, or even Walker Evans' work, without that backstory of the whole FSA and what they were trying to accomplish, and 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 even the individual backstories of of some of the people that were photographed, it 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 does become removed for me, and it does lose a little bit of impact because I'm a I'm a fan of narrative. But isn't there something to the idea that you the viewer is creating the narrative? You know that the, the sure. images don't require. Sure. There's yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I yeah, you're right. I could go both ways on it. Mm-hmm. Um but I think that they are an interesting uh um third st- uh, leg to the stool of the yeah. stuff of the FSA stuff we've been talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And part of it was that he wasn't doing it for propaganda reasons or at least not not that we know of. Um Yeah, interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. So, uh we'll put it in the show notes people can go take a look. Um, what else we got? Oh, what do you think of this Marilyn Monroe thing? It seems kind of strange. Um, I mean, it, it, it's what happened was, uh, owners of some of Marilyn Monroe's photographs or photographs of Marilyn Monroe, uh, have won a legal victory in the ninth circuit court here in California, uh, in San Francisco, actually, uh, that Marilyn's heirs, don't have any right to the photos. Do you think that they should? Uh, no, actually. Okay. I, I don't. I think that stuff, it's very strange. 
So I am some famous actor. I die, but my family still owns the rights to my name and image. Well, that's not really the way copyright should work. It's not the way it was set up. Well, this is more like almost like trademark, you know, Mm -hmm. like sort of Mm -hmm. um, um, it's it's very weird. Uh, Like uh, it's almost like a trade dress kind of thing. Now, I understand the idea that you don't want, you know, I I was reading about River Phoenix this morning who died um, 20 years ago. But I was reading about River Phoenix. Isn't it weird that that was 20 years ago already? Yeah, he's been dead for as long as he was alive. That's so weird. Right. Um, so river Phoenix died in whatever it was, 93. And, uh, so I was reading that. So theoretically the flip side of that is you don't want somebody say in 1995 taking some picture of river Phoenix and using it for an ad for Nike. Right. You know, without, cause that's just rude to the family and whatever it is and money aside, which money is a huge part of it. Sure. Same with Elvis or whatever. But I, it, it is kind of strange. I mean, Marilyn Monroe, when did she die? 60s? 62. Okay, so this is like, come on, right? 62? This is That was literally 50 years ago. But it's still a source. I mean, let's face it. This comes down to money, right? right. And Because it's still a source of revenue. Right, but I don't know that 60 years later, her f- surviving f- uh, generations of people should geek. Like, it's 50 years ago. Right. You know? I mean, what? Okay, so what's the limit? So every time somebody puts a picture of George Washington in a thing, the Washington family is supposed to get money, right? You know, there's, there's well, and it's 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 different than than something I would imagine. I don't know all of the details behind her estate and who controls it. But well, what's interesting about this particular court case was that uh, there are different laws in California versus New York. Sure. That in New York, this doesn't happen, and it has something to do with uh, the. There's sort of a. Um, I'm assuming it's because of, uh, you know, because of Hollywood, essentially, right? Because yeah, so I much think of it's, it's, I think it's called right of publicity. Okay, right. And then what happened was that it all came down to where she lived, like her residence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And apparently that's where the court case was going to be held. And for years, her estate has argued that she uh, was living in New York because it was saved them all kinds of tax money. Right. So that ended up being their undoing in this particular case because because it was in New York, the law was different in New York. Did Did you read how much? I mean, her her name, the Monroe memorabilia, still generates nearly thirty million dollars a year. Yeah, that's that crazy. crazy. It is crazy. Yeah, you know, and and I mean, what, what's strange about it is it's different than something like Elvis, right? You know, they're they're putting out recordings and and you know touring productions and. You know, I can't think of any Marilyn Monroe memorabilia, save, you know, T-shirts and things that you would find in, in little tchotchke shops on, you know, on Hollywood Boulevard or something. Right, right. I, I don't know. I think all this stuff is kind of crazy. Um, the, the, yeah, Monroe LLC. See, this is just, this just, this, all this stuff is gross. Yeah, it's a land grab. Did, uh, did you happen to see when, when MCA from the Beastie Boys uh, died? He put in his will that nothing could be used for advertising. Nothing that he created or had a hand in creating can ever, ever, ever be used for advertising. Well, you know, that's an interesting thing, too, because I remember reading it wasn't Avedon, some other photographer who died in the last, you know, five or six years, some big photographer, Mm -hmm. put in their will that nothing, none of their negatives could be printed ever again after his death. Oh, really? 
Yeah, and I remember thinking, how the hell can he decide what happens to his work after he dies? Interesting. You know what I mean? Like, couldn't mm-hmm. the people who then get their hands on it change that? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I wonder, maybe just those negatives that were that are currently held by the estate. I mean, certainly that doesn't extend to maybe. I, you know, I, I like purchased. I like Ansel Adams, who like gave all his negatives to that school down in Arizona or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the students can still like print his negatives. That's pretty cool. Um, it was just, it was just interesting. And it gets into the question of who owns the pictures, you know, um, right. this morning I, I got a call or an email rather from, from this Swiss television. I'm assuming it's like the BBC of Switzerland. Okay. Um, looking for a photograph, a portrait I took of this guy for this magazine and they wanted to, uh, get a copy of it for some TV show. And, you know, I, I said, well, yeah, if we can figure out usage and we figured out a price and I sent them an invoice and the picture and theoretically they'll pay me in the next few weeks. Um, but the guy I took the picture of doesn't get any of that money. You know what I mean? Just this agency. No, well, no, I, well, this is, this is a television station. So they paid me X amount of dollars to use this picture, oh, but I it's not like saying. the subject gets the money. Right. Right. You know? Nothing goes back to him, which is this weird question of like how, at what point and how do you distinguish whether somebody is a public figure who somehow right. all that stuff's you very know, shady. Th- there's a, there's a weird law. I think it's a law on the books in California that if you, it has to do with art, uh, and if you if you sell a piece of art for profit, that a, a portion of those proceeds is supposed to go back to the artist. Have you heard of this? Uh, okay, so like, say you bought a print of mine five years from now, you sell it for ten times as much. I get a chunk of that. You're supp- yeah, you're supposed to t- technically you're supposed to get a chunk of that. That'd be Isn't nice. That weird? I, I think uh, you know I'll I'll do some looking and can, can uh, if you I can find anything. Also, look to see if there's any empty uh, apartments in your complex. <laughs> <laughs> just so you can have an address here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that'd be I mean, nice. It's, it's, it's kind of strange, right? Yeah, that is kind of weird. I, I don't know how I feel about that. Hey, while we're on copyright real quick, uh, Shepard Ferry. You like that Shepard Ferry. I do like Shepard Ferry quite a bit. Uh, he was a bad boy though. He was a little naughty with, with the Obama stuff and, uh, he got his hand slapped. So no Maybe. jail time. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, oh, using the guy's picture. Well, and destroying evidence. That was really what, what... Oh, he was destroying evidence, too. He insisted that it, that it wasn't this photograph and destroyed evidence and uh, was, uh, was found guilty and fined $25,000 and two years of probation. Never liked that guy. So he'll have to release two more prints to, <laughs> to I think he's I think he's a little too full of himself. Do you? Yeah. See, I, I've met him a number of times at, at different gallery openings, and I think he's... Pretty cool. Um, each time that that Nick and I ran into him, he, he stopped what he was doing and talked to us, and and seemed like a good guy. Okay, I, I I'm going just to, on a weird hunch for some reason. Yeah, I like um, the Shepherd Fairy, so you know, you like all kinds of things. I do. Well, I you know we have several of his pieces, so hmm. oh, know. must be nice. <laughs> hey, uh, when you sell those next year, make sure you send part of the check That's back right. to Shepard. That's right. Send it. Yeah. Make sure you spell it correctly. Because he needs it. it. He does. He needs He needs the money. Um, but yeah, so uh, just farmer, copyright, what else we got? Hey, there was a thing in the New York Times that I saw. Did you see this link that I put in there? I, I saw it. Yeah. I, first of all, I love the name. Redheaded 
peckerwood yeah i do love that <laughs> of course you do um so th- there apparently uh uh two people a 19 year old and a 14 year old kids were killed in 1950 oh no no, no. they in 1958 no, they, they killed 10 people yeah they went on a killing spree across nebraska 19 and 14 yeah that's just crazy amounts of yeah. young Charles Starkweather and Carol Ann Fugate. Yeah, Fugate. Fugate. You know what's genius about that? Those are like names out of a movie. Yeah. I'm. Sub- has this been made? If this, if it hasn't been made, it's it's imminent. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, so this photographer, um, uh, from what I understand, he basically uh, followed their trail. Mm-hmm. and took photographs of like buildings that they had been in uh oil spills on highways they went by um telephones that people knew they used that are still in like some old restaurant somewhere right um it's it's weird right it's like this weird collection of of murder based ephemera yeah and 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 some of it's like kind of artsy like this like multiple exposure house of card shot Mm-hmm. Um, the back of some guy's head with like blood on his ear, like just some weird, some bloody snow, just like weird, weird stuff. And that shot of the Oregon trail bottle yep. is amazing uh, on the mirror. Yeah. I like that. Um, it's, some of it's a little art school pretense for me. Okay. Yeah. But- I, I agree. But, um, like that ray of light shot, that's a great shot. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason why I put it in here is that this is not the kind of work that I normally like. Right. This sort of artsy try. Like I came up with a concept and then I shot all this stuff to fit this thing that I know people will be interested in because it involves kids who murdered people. Right. That kind of so thing where, usually turns me off. What is it about? The, is it the work? Is it the subject matter? What got you? About I think this? that they are beautiful pictures. Not all of okay. them but many of them are very beautiful pictures. I do agree with you about the ray of light and the bottle. Yeah, they're they're pretty cool. And the telephone look at, shot, look at her face. that one's great. Look at her face. The the girl Carol Ann. Uh, uh she she's the one uh, where she's walking out of the thing. Just she just she just looks empty, doesn't she? Yeah. Just hollow. I mean, this, I guess you'd have to be to go, you know. Yeah, kill like the shot of the storm cellar. Yeah, it's cool stuff. Anyway, the, the, I only bring this up because I generally don't like these sort of quasi art, quasi storytelling kind of photo series. Mm-hmm. But I think this one is very well done, and I think what makes it good. I mean, there's just something about the like that ray of light shot where it's just there's this beam of light between say two buildings hitting this uh, other building, and but the rest of it's like all in shadow. That, sure. that it's technically very good. And the fact that it's technically very good makes up for a lot for me. Mm-hmm. Is that okay. fair? Sure. Um, you, you, you can see that the guy knows what he's doing and you respect that. Yes. Okay. I, I respect people who have skill. Ideas are good. Ideas plus skill. That's where you get me. I want to mm-hmm. look at something and go, wow, that was really well done. Not just like, oh, that was a neat idea. Lots of people have neat ideas. Um, how many people have neat ideas that they can actually back up with the skill of the photograph to that, that the photograph is beautiful even with the, uh, idea behind it, you know, even without, so do you, rather. do you err on the side of 
even if the idea is not so great, but but the technical execution of it is is superb, you can still find something to to like about it. Uh, yeah, I yes, um, okay. I, I get off on technical execution at times. Okay, um, I also find that so then sometimes... you must love the Gregory Crudson, right? Uh-huh. Cute. <laughs> um, I I find that oftentimes when people take enough care for something to be done that well, Mm -hmm. that it often elevates it to something else. You know what I mean? Like just the fact that it's that done with that much care and skill elevates it to art much the way, like, you know, watching Tiger Woods swing, you know, like his swing is beautiful in an artistic way, but really it's just a really great mechanical athletic thing. You know, mm-hmm. um, but anyway, these, I just thought these were great. And I thought I saw them in the New York times and uh, Sunday uh, magazine. I thought I'd put it up here. I thought they'd be pretty good. Yeah. No, these are good. Uh, and then somebody wrote in asking about, cause last week we talked, we had a pretty heady show mm-hmm. um, about um, formats, right? We talked about four by five and why somebody would rather want to use it. Um, and somebody wrote in, who was it that wrote in? Do you have it handy? Uh, I, I don't have it handy, but it was, it was in response. Oh, I think it might've been John to... Burridge who I met a few weeks ago. Oh, okay. Didn't you meet him at, at B&H or something? Yeah, I did. The guy? Okay. Um, uh, basically, I think, you know what? I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. It's here. I got it. Um, okay. that the, framing, uh, particular aspect ratios, right? So, you know, things that happen to hit on, Golden rules, Fibonacci spirals, the whole thing, um, that, that fatter rectangle. So the idea that four by five versus the two by three of 35 millimeter versus six by seven or even six by six for square, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, whether some of those, uh, some of those things make better pictures, like is, is an aspect ratio change the way you shoot. Now, oh, I think it does. Yeah, I, think I, it does. I do too. Um, whether one of them is better than another, that's that's a tough thing. Um, uh, do you you you've been shooting a lot with your iPhone lately? I have been. I've been using a, an app called Six Four Five Pro, which I'm I'm really liking, and I've been using it primarily. It's got uh, different backs in quotes that you can select, and one of the aspect ratios that you can choose is six by six. Uh, and I've been using their their in camera or in phone, I guess it is black and white, um, and it really does change the way you see things. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, it, it changes composition. It changes the way you use leading lines. Yep. Um, and I think that uh, any and we've talked about this on the show. I think that anything that allows you or forces you one or the other to see things differently is a good thing. Right. Yeah, no, I I completely agree. Do you think there's something inherent though to particular ratios? Do you I mean is there something inherent to square that that is better or is it just different? I don't know that it's better. I think it's just different. You know, I mean when when I when I started shooting in high school, uh my first camera that I that I owned was a Pentax Super Program. Um and the print format then was you know, 8 by 10, sure. 11 by 14. Yep. Five by seven, you know, now it's eight by 12, 11 by 17, you know, so there are differences in 
not only the way you see things, but in what you're able to display in the final print. And what I've found lately, and I'm talking maybe in the last year or so, is uh, with this infusion of, of shooting with my iPhone, I've gone back to uh, some of the photographs that I'd taken previously and sort of recropped them in the six by six format or in the square format, just to see how different of a take I can get, you know, how, 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 what, what can I say differently with these just by changing formats? And it's, it's actually pretty surprising. Uh, I've been pretty surprised at the results that I've been getting. It's, it's that much of a difference on some of them. Sure. Um, I agree. Uh, lately there's been a lot of time that I will, uh, crop things to six, uh, like four by five mm-hmm. from two by three. But usually when I'm doing that, I'm shooting in such a way that I am, uh, preparing. Does that make okay. sense? Like, uh, I'm shooting to crop. Sure. Um, the, some of those, uh, high end Nikons can actually show you lines in the viewfinder, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the Canons don't do that, but that's always a feature that I, was a little envious of because there are times when I want to shoot square or shoot four by five and sort of almost wanted to mask out part of the viewfinder. Oh, okay. See what I'm saying? And so you don't, you don't get any, get any of the sort of bright lines in in the Mark three. No. So I just do it by eye and then crop in, in Lightroom or whatever. Um, Hmm. I, you know, I've look, I've shot two by three. I've shot six, four, five. I've shot six by six. I've shot six, seven. I've shot four by five. And I, I like square and I like four by five, six, seven, which is like, you know, just a little bit off square, which is like the Mamiya six sevens and those Mm -hmm. and the Pentax six, seven Pentax. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, which was, that was a very common thing like that, that RZ six, seven back in the Mm eighties, um, like that sort of mid period, Annie Leibovitz look where everything was shot with that kind of camera. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that magazines tend to be that kind of ratio. There's okay. still cropping to be done. Sure. But for a lot of people, it was like, this is closer to what it'll finally be. So it's easier for us to get an idea of what the cover will look like or the interior photographs for layout purposes and that kind of stuff. Um, okay. Let, let me ask you something real quick. Uh, aspect ratio goes along with different cameras, right? Uh, okay. Yeah. Although Uh, some cameras can do multiple aspect ratios. Okay. That aside, what do you think affects your shooting, um, or, or how you're seeing things, the hardware that you're using or the aspect ratio that it shoots, or can you separate the two? Like, uh, if I'm shooting with a Hasselblad or with a Rolly, are they going to have the same effect? Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that's interesting. Um, I think it has more to do with the aspect ratio than the individual camera. Although individual cameras styles, like the way you handle them changes it too. When you're looking at say medium format cameras, you're not holding them up to your eye. You're holding down at waist level and you're looking down into them a lot of the time. Right. Um, that right there changes everything. How often do you hold your 35 millimeter camera around your belly button and take pictures? Never. And, and much to my lament, I wish that, that DSLRs had replaceable finders, but uh, some of them, you some know, of them, you get that little L shaped thing, right? Well, or you get the, uh, a lot of them have articulated screens now, but it seems to be 
the mid or the prosumer level cameras. Not you don't the see ones? no, which I always you know, lately I find that's kind of strange. Yeah, I can see that, um, especially with video. With all of the new DSLRs shooting video, why wouldn't you use an or an include an articulated screen on the back of the camera? Uh, I don't know. You know what? I don't like articulated screens. Um, it's one more failure point. And people who are using the high-end cameras are generally using external displays anyway, I think. Okay, fair. Uh, so I think there's an argument to be made there. Um, I don't. For some reason, they, they feel lower end to me than one that's just integrated. Maybe that's really? just... Really? By, just by including that? Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Um, and I think it's just because cheaper cameras have tended to have them. You know, it's like a, like a feature for mom and pop. Right. Um, but I'm, I'm wondering if the new full frame offerings from from Canon and Nikon at Photokina, if we're going to see that. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Um, th- that wouldn't make me envious of a camera, though. No. Uh, but again, going back to it, that I mean, so shooting from the waist or shooting lower, I mean, you could get down on, you know, get down your haunches and take pictures with your digital SLR, crop them square, and you will get a picture that's very close to a Hasselblad. A Hasselblad at 80 millimeters is almost exactly like a 35 millimeter uh, lens on a full frame regular S- digital SLR. If, okay. you, if you crop it square, you get almost the same field of view as a normal lens on a Hasselblad. Okay. So, you know, get, get yeah, yourself I, a D700, just, a 35 millimeter lens, crop it square, and you're getting the same. It, it should look the same as the Hasselblad. Well, hopefully we'll get a D600. Hopefully they're going to announce that this week. That's yeah, kind if, of if, they have su- if such a thing exists. If such it, a beast it, exists. That's right. It could be vaporware. Hey, there's um, a term we haven't heard in a while. It's true. Uh, but I don't know. So, so, you know, John's big thing is that like, he's just like, is there something special about these? You know, is there a reason why pictures from medium format cameras look so amazing? It's like, well, there's so many variables in there. You know, people who are taking pictures with medium format cameras are tend to take more care with the pictures that they're taking. So it's fancier lighting, better makeup, better, whatever, you know, so the pictures you see that Annie takes, with a with a medium format camera versus a digital SLR, there probably isn't as much of a difference as between, you know, you with your digital SLR you're walking around town with, and then you know, uh, Mark Seliger in his studio. Like he's okay. he's doing something different, and it's not the camera that is changing everything. Right. You know. Right. That there's there's more to it than that. Um, I don't know. Just it's it's an interesting question. Uh, I like square, and sometimes it's funny. Thirty-five millimeter two by three feels really lo- either wide or tall to me. A lot of times, mm-hmm. like it feels big. It almost feels like uh, uh, widescreen to me. Oh, okay. Sometimes, but then yeah. other times it feels really nor- ordinary. You know. Hey, if uh, if people want to get kind of a an intro into square format, if you've never used that, um, Andrew Gibson. Uh, Craft and Vision author has written uh, an ebook called Square. Uh, you can get it at uh, either craftandvision.com or andrewsgibson.com. Uh, and he talks about sh- both shooting with square format cameras as well as, as cropping, why to crop, where to crop, um, you know, kind of what, what to look for when you're cropping to square. So if, if people want to get a little intro into that, that might be a good place to start. There's also another weird little quasi-technical thing in there, which is... One of the things you can do with large format cameras is you can actually shift uh, the plane of focus 
so that the the light is coming in the lens and it's going straight through and hitting the sensor on a 35 millimeter camera mm-hmm. on a large format camera you can shift either the front board or the back board up or down right okay uh, so you can actually change and basically what it's doing is that the image circle coming in through the lens projecting on the back of the camera is bigger than the piece of film and basically you can move the piece of film around that image larger image circle okay mm-hmm. and what that allows you to do is like a lot of perspective kind of stuff that people do involves uh uh shifting down or up to like change the where the camera is in relation to it's an optical thing it, it's okay. very hard to explain but if you play with it you'll see what i mean and one uh, of the a lot co- of use in architecture yes yes and okay. w- one of the cool things that you can do um is with you could shoot at say two by three realizing that what you really want is the bottom four fifths of the frame right sure you can you can you could basically crop off the top don't crop in the middle you can crop towards the bottom or towards the top and what you end up with is sort of a little bit of a shift effect that you can create with 35 millimeter basically shooting wider and cropping into a part of it towards the more towards the edges and okay. you're kind of you're, you're you're playing with perspective and stuff a little bit just Maybe a weird can, thing. Can you throw up an example in the show notes? Yeah, let me see if I can. If I can't do it today, I can. I could certainly do that some other time. Let me put that in there. Um, do you want to? Uh, you want to do a quick ad? Yes, absolutely. Because this is cool. This is, uh, for those of you who have listened to the show before. You know that uh, one of our sponsors is Red River. Um, we're excited. We've got a couple more in the works, and and are loving. Red River and their support. Uh, is it the first, first 10 people? First 10 people. Okay, so first 10 people who email Drew Hendricks uh, at, uh, you can email him at dhendricks, so the letter D, H-E-N-D-R-I-X, at redriverpaper.com. Yep. Uh, they're going to get you a free sample pack. Yeah, just put uh, OTP in the subject line and just say, I'd like to be one of the people who gets a free sample pack. Please? And uh, they will send you out one. Yes, be very nice to Drew. He's a good guy. Drew's a good guy. Um, we, we love Red River Paper. They make incredibly good product. And uh, I used them for years and years and years before I ever started podcasting. And and I use their paper for everything that I print um, here at home. And it's my portfolio is on the Ultra Pro Satin, which a few people have written in and say that they love, interestingly <sighs> enough. Fancy. Well, you, oh, oh, I'm sorry. They need to use uh, <laughs> the metallic paper to, to... Uh, that or polar matte. <laughs> so, if you're using Epson paper or Canon paper or what have you, some name, some brand paper, um, you can get better quality paper for less money uh, from Red River, and they're really good people and a fairly small company. So, uh, you should go ahead and check out their stuff. Um, if, yeah. if you don't happen to get uh, in on this first 10 deal, uh, you can still get uh, a sample pack for, uh, I think it's what, what, $7.99? Yeah, it's, uh, I think, well, normally I think it's $12.99. I wonder if okay. he'll give the deal still. I bet he will. Yeah, he's a good sure. guy like that. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, you can get 5% off. 10% off. No, 10% off. 5%. Yeah. Where am I going? 10% who wants, off. Who wants 5%? 5%. That's nothing. Yeah. Uh, by using OTP at checkout. Yep. So yep. go check so, those guys out. Yeah, it's a Red River paper slash OTP, and you will get to a little landing page that it describes all this. 
But the first 10 of you, send in, get a free sample pack because it's really, really, really great stuff. Have you ever printed on canvas at home? Uh, no. I, I haven't either. Okay, I, I will tell you, you like canvas, right? Uh, no, actually, I don't. Okay, does Nikki like canvas? Um, Nikki likes canvas for some of her macro stuff. Okay. Um, I'm sort of anti canvas for photographic use. Okay. I think it's like trying to merge photography and painting too much. It's like trying to make something seem more high art than it is by putting it on canvas and the whole canvas wrap thing. I can't stand that look. Okay. Just my personal, it's a weird thing, isn't it? It is like, like your whole thing, like how you love matte paper. Well, that's because matte paper looks cool. Right. See, this is exactly it. Where some people must think that canvas wraps look cool. I, you know, I think for certain types of things, they look fine. Um, but I, I don't think that it works. You know, let's face it. That's why there are different media, right? True. Because you, you, you choose the media that's going to enhance uh, the project. You know what it is with this kind of stuff? I'm a classicist. As, as on the edge of new technology as I am, I tend towards the old things that work. I put a tweet up the other day. Because, you know, there's tons and tons of people getting married lately on, on the Facebook. Right. And I was looking at pictures of... A, you getting of, into wedding photography now? God, no. Um, but I was looking at some of the brides in these pictures. And some of them had looked amazingly beautiful. Some of them had these dresses on that you're just like, ladies, less is more, you know? Simpler is better. There are four or five dress styles that work. The rest of them don't work because... They just don't work. And that's why they're not popular. You know, like find one of the original, like sort of, if you want to go for like an original classic white wedding dress, like there are the ones that look really good. Don't try to do something special. Just look amazing. You know, I don't know. That's just my personal feeling. It's just, I just look at these dresses and I'm like, that's just a bad dress. These people spent thousands and thousands of dollars on a dress. And it's like, wow. Too much? Like, like too prom dressy or what do you think? Either too like weird, strangely poofy or all kinds of weird ornamentation on it. Or the cut is just kind of odd. Like uh, it's a strange thing you're, to you're me. You're just more, more clean lines. You're a big fan of clean lines. I am. And, and whenever I look at somebody, even like men's suits and stuff, right? Like there is a, ca- a classic suit cut that works really well. And it works Tom really Ford. well. That's all I'm going to say. Tom Ford. Right. Right there. And, and, you know, you could try all these other fancy things, but you're just going to look dated five years from now. You know, yeah. I like the kind of stuff that is like, you can't even tell that that image wasn't taken today. Okay. You know, like you see pictures of, of, you know, the guys in the fifties with suits on, you know, it's like, okay, they could be wearing that suit today. Sure. Suit jacket. Um, I, I would love to own a Tom Ford suit, to be honest with you. Well, someday when you're rich and famous from this podcast, you can do that. That's, that is exactly. He's uh, he, he's doing all the suits for uh, for Daniel Craig in the new Bond. Have you seen the trailer for that, by the way? Big um, Bond fan. I love the James Bond movies. Did you like the Quantum of Solace, though? Uh, not as well as I liked Casino Royale. Okay. But I like, I, I buy Craig's version of the character. Uh, I do, too. No, I, I think he's fantastic. Casino Royale was great. I thought yeah. the second one was a little weak. Little, it wasn't as good, but this one looks to make up for it. Okay, I, Skyfall. I, I am. I will be uh, pleasantly surprised if you are right. Is that fair? You mean just because I'm right? Because <laughs> I'm never right. <laughs> well, is that is that a blanket statement that you're uh, always just pleasantly uh, surprised if I'm right? <laughs> uh, uh, 
Um, yeah, uh, good stuff. Yeah. Well, okay. So today is a big day. Yes, for a number of reasons. Yeah. Okay. Well, first of all, it's Patriot Day in Massachusetts. So happy Patriot Day, a, Massachusetts that's a thing? people. Is that a thing? Oh my God! Really? Where have you been? Really? Yeah. Pa- I've never heard of Patriot Day. Why have I never heard of this? It is a. It is a. Uh, it is a. Well, the well, it's Patriot Day. Oh, look at that. That's interesting. Uh, okay, it's Patriots Day. Oh, I'm. I'm no. I'm sorry. No, okay, it's Patriot Day federally, not Patriots Day in Massachusetts. My bad. Okay. Uh, the original Patriots Patriots Day is in April when the Boston Marathon is. And okay, so Patriot Day. This is the nine eleven thing. Yeah, and apparently okay. it's new federal holiday, right? I I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, which is interesting. Just, just as of this year, like, is this the uh, first? Let's see. Blah blah blah. Two thousand. No, in two thousand one, it was done. Huh. Where have September eleventh of each of each year's Patriot Day. <laughs> now. You live, Apparently, I've been living in Switzerland for the past twelve years. No, because people in Switzerland probably know this. Um, oh, you right. live in California, right? Where you know people have too much sunshine. And, That's right. We're just a bunch of hippie weirdos out yeah. here. Um, you you live a long way away. I live in the New York City, which means um, that today, being September eleventh, is a whole other ball of wax here in New York City. Is is there a palpable change in the demeanor of the city? Yes. Still, really? Yeah. Um, for people who were here, yes. Um, mm-hmm. And I am not one of those who had very strong reaction to the whole. I mean, I was here and I saw it and I, you know, know people who died, but I, I do not have a visceral sort of PTSD kind of thing going on. Okay. Okay. Um, like some people did. And I got in a lot of fights with people afterwards, but I don't want to get into politics. Um, but but it's interesting because I think what it is is that the weather changes around this time of year. Okay. And so for a lot of people, it feel, this morning it was like 55 degrees out and it was beautiful and it was sunny. And just last week, wasn't it sweltering? Yeah. And it, it felt like it did that morning, you know? Okay. Um, which is just, it's just, it's interesting. It's, it's, I don't know. It's very interesting. Um, so there is the September 11th thing, the, mm-hmm. the, 2001 attacks, which is the whole thing. Um, this is also, uh, the birthday of my father who died, uh, seven years ago. Right. Um, and, uh, I only bring this up because, uh, he, he died, uh, five years after his 60th birthday. So he, he died, uh, early in the morning of the 16th. So between the 11th, when we had a birthday cake for him at the hospital, and then we took him home and he died five days later at home, um, it, it is like this weird sort of five day period every, uh, year that is just, it just kills me. Not, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't kill me. It just, you know, it's there and it's this thing that I have to get through every year. Right. Um, but, but the reason I bring it up is, is just because it, my father died in 2005. Um, I started taking pictures with any seriousness at all. Um, I guess I, I bought my first digital SLR in 2004. Um, my father and I had a very odd relationship. We went on a trip together out West. Um, and you can go see the pictures if you want. Uh, it's a uh, bill. Yeah. Wadman, yeah Bill. Wadman. 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 Wad
And, and, you know, I was taking pictures out West and then, uh, my father got sick. And after my father died, I sort of realized that, you know, came to that conclusion that life really is as short as they say it is. And that I wanted to do something more than just advertising for my life. Right. Right. Because you were still knee deep in, in that, that whole design advertising art direction world. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what I was doing. You know, I was, I was doing pitches for MasterCard and, you know, making flash ads for people and designing, you know, that's what I was doing. And I realized like, I don't want to do that. This is not what I want my life to on my deathbed. This is not what I want my life to be about. Was it, was it because of your father's illness that you arrived at that conclusion or had that been in your head prior to it was after I mean, was that the catalyst for it is what it I'm was, saying? you know, it wasn't so much his illness. It was after he died because it became sort of a question of what was left now that he died. You know, what, what was here? What did he have to show for the fact that he was alive other than us two kids and mm-hmm. a house and some money in the bank? You know, I mean, there were people who loved him and my father, my father, you know, you see, uh, I've known people who have died, uh, parents of friends who have died and their obituaries are almost, um, saddened. They're very sad in the sense that they're so bare thin. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So-and-so was, you know, a wife and a mother and liked to go to church on Sundays and... Right, right. You know, like, there, there's nothing in there that... They're lacking no, richness. Yeah, there's no detail. Like, there's no okay. character, you know. Um, my father was was a, 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 an honorary sheriff in Connecticut and, a, you know, a, he, was a, he was a Shriner and a, and a Mason and, you know he was that guy, right? He was a, he was a, um, uh, uh, justice of the peace. Um, so, I mean, he had all these things, but there was sort of like what was left other than memories after he died. And, and it kind of got me thinking a lot about what I wanted to do. And that is sort of what pushed me into photography, which I started doing in 2006 and then sort of took off in 2007 when I started doing uh, 365 portraits, the daily project. So, there's all of that, which is interesting to me. And, and every, the, the thing that kills me is that I have become a fairly competent photographer. My father was a photographer when, before I was old enough to know anything, my father was a photographer, you know, a, a, a amateur photographer. Sure. Um, he had one of those Canon AE ones, uh, in, you know, in a, there was a drawer in his desk, uh, where his camera gear was and I wasn't really allowed to touch it. Okay. You know, for all those years, it was just sitting in the, in the closet. And, um, you know, one time I, I kind of, I took it to school with filming it and took some pictures like in seventh grade. And I got yelled at like seriously by my father for taking his camera into school without asking. Nice. Um, and, and there was this camera there that I wasn't allowed to touch, you know, now that he's dead, that camera is on a shelf in my, in my, my camera closet right now. You know, it's like this camera that I wasn't allowed to touch mm-hmm. is now my camera to throw out the window if I want to throw it out the window. Right. But that camera is not even one of the cameras I would ever use because I have a lot better cameras than it. You know what I mean? Like it has this sure. like sure. meaning that. But the crazy thing is, is that my father used to have a little dark room, apparently in the bathroom of the first house that my mother and father lived in. I never saw any of this. There was a time 
when my father and I talked about sort of setting up a dark room in like the basement or something in our house and we were going to go buy, I remember going to some camera store in Waterbury, Connecticut to go find an enlarger, but they cost too much or there was some, for some reason we decided not to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, but the fact that my father died without seeing what I have become is very sad to me, you know? Sure. Um, and, and, and the way that, that, that it's, it's sort of like I'm doing all of this to impress somebody who's not around to be impressed anymore. Are, are your photographs, are they, are they the leave behind to, to, uh, future generations? Give, yeah, that's right. No, are they the leave behind to give your life meaning? Is, is that what you're looking for? I mean, does, does it, does it, does it transcend just making portraits, just, the commercial aspect of it, even, even your own sense of artistic pursuit, is it something more? And do you think people do that? I mean, it, it, obviously people want to be remembered. They want, they want to, to at least a certain percentage of people want to know that, that they've affected people, that their, that their time here, their, their 70 or 80 or whatever years meant something. Yeah. Was, was, was more than just, yeah. Um, is, is, is that maybe something that you're looking at, um, that, I, that you didn't see from your own father? I think that that is a fantasy that is in my head. Okay. I don't think that I've been doing that. The work that I've done is at the level that's going to be remembered 30 years from now. Um, I think I've taken some good pictures, but I have not gotten to the point where I have, stretch the bounds of photography in a way that warrants that kind of, you know, I, I wonder people like, you know, th that we've talked about some of our, our photographic heroes, if you will, like the Dan Winters and, sure. and, and, you know, Greg Heisler and, and, uh, Gregory Crudson, Eugene Ache, Eugene, <laughs> Eugene Ache, or, uh, Robert Duano. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well done. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I wonder if there was a sense of of longevity or is a sense of longevity for those who are still alive in how they view their work. You know, is is Oh, I'm sure that Jay Mazel thinks that he's the bee's knees and that people are going to care about his pictures after he's dead. Mm -hmm. Um I'm sure I think that that is the fantasy of every artist, isn't it? You know? Um the funny thing is is that often the stuff that gets remembered is not the stuff that was necessarily known during their lifetimes mm -hmm. you know it's like the whole thing where you know the number one selling book in 1848 or whatever was like some book that no one's ever heard of now and yet it might be the same year that moby dick came out and did nothing and flopped until 50 years after his death right you know so th it's those kinds of things too and there's plenty of photographers or artists or you know let's just take photographers because it makes it easy there's plenty of photographers who were probably stringer photojournalists for the New York times who, you know, were everywhere that things were happening and just none of their pictures ever. I mean, right. you right. know, like it hit a spark. They sure. never were in the magic place at that magic moment to get the picture of the girl running down the street with napalm on her. Right. Right. You know, like, yeah, so for every, for every Tim Hetherington, there are, you know, hundreds or thousands of anonymous you know, photojournalists right. that don't get that kind of yeah. attention. And I'm sure that, you know, I've, I've been told by a number of people who have, you know, cold call me or email me, you know, they see some picture I took 
and they'll write and say, oh, that portrait of so-and-so is amazing, you know, like, so there are people who notice it. And I guess you could argue that, I guess it's a weird thing because I always looked up to my, my father and I did not see eye to eye most of the time. Uh, but in some ways, I, you know, I could argue that I have accomplished more in my life so far than he had. You know what I mean? Like I, I am probably known by more people by my name than my father was. And my father had the same name, you know? Okay. Sure. Which is, which is very strange to me because I always looked at him like a hero. Right. You know, as, yeah, as, mean, you, as this mythical a, thing. How did, if you don't mind sharing it, cause I, I really like the way you describe your dad. Sure. Um, you, you've talked about him uh, as having a sense of gravity. Yes. He, he, he was very uh, big. I mean, he wasn't a large man physically. I mean, he was, you know, six foot and 200 pounds, but, but he had this things spun around him. Like when he, he, he held rooms when he walked in, you know, he was Mm -hmm. one of those people. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think a lot of what happens with like my extended family since his death is that like my father was the thing that all of us all sort of revolved around, um, cosmically as it were. So in some ways there is nothing in the middle holding it all together. You know, there, there was definitely that sense after he died. Um, which I don't and think is it still that everybody. way for your family. Um, you know, I think I think we've all found our own uh, little um, our own little uh, pl- things to spin around. You know, orbits as it were. Yeah, we've we found orbits around other people. I think that in some ways we've sort of splintered. In mm-hmm. some ways, you know, my my sister has a husband and and a child and another one on the way. So you know, there, so there's all that kind of stuff. You know. Um, so what is it about photography specifically? Well, I, you know, here's the thing, the, the part of the reason I bring, bring all this up. And I, I mean, there, there is, there is sort of like the, why we do what we do. And, and the question is why we take pictures at all. Right. right. Um, right. I mean, for some people it's just a hobby and it's just something they do on the side. For some people, it's just an occupation, you know, it's just a job and it's all about, um, making a buck, you know, um, for me, it's a much deeper thing than that. I, I want to make good work and I want to be, I want to be paid to make the kind of work. I want somebody to hire me because they want me, not just because they need a photographer, you know? Okay. Did you ever, you ever read Fountainhead? I'm not a huge Ayn Rand person and I'm not some Uh, crazy. One of my favorite books of all time. Okay. And there, and, and I think that a lot of people, I think Ayn Rand didn't quite understand a lot of the ideas that she was coming up with. Cause I don't think they're nearly as like weird and, 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 um, uh, libertarian as it all seems at first glance. Um, well, but, like, given but, the time period that she came up with these, I think maybe they had more impact. Right. But, but the, the whole, you know, the, the whole idea of a character like Howard Rourke, I used to I used to have a friend of mine, uh, Jess, who I did that book cover for, mm-hmm. um, and she always used to say, you know, you want to be a hard work not or Peter Keating, you know. Yeah. And and there's there's that scene in the beginning of the book when he's talking to the the dean who's kicking him out, right? And he says, you know, how are you how are you going to get clients? And he says, I don't intend to build in order to have clients. I intend to have clients in order to build. Right. Right. It was the process uh, that that Rourke 
got off on. It was it was the process that that completed him. Right. It was the making stuff that was the important part. The fact that he had people who were paying him to do it, that just allowed him to do what he did. Right, right. And in some ways, I feel that way. Like, do, do I make as much money as I made when I was doing straight advertising? No. You know. But there's an integrity there that a lot of photographers share with you, that, that they, they want to get to the purity of the art. They want to get to the purity of the process. Yes. And if there are clients along the way that, that help facilitate that, that's all well and good, but it's not the client that drives them. It's the work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and, and it, I mean, for, and that's for, for professionals. I mean, for, for other people, the whole thing with my father too, kind of goes back to what, what do I have of him now that he's gone other than my memories? And a lot of it is photographs, you know, Mm -hmm. that photographs hold something in our society that, hold a place in our society that nothing else does, you know, uh, much in the same way that sometimes songs like a particular song that may have been your song with some girl 20 years ago, or, you know, the music that was playing the first dance you went to, or, you know, was, was playing on the radio when you got in a car accident or whatever it was, right. That that these things that like you, you hear them and you're instantly taken back to that moment. Mm -hmm. Um, the same thing sometimes with smells or certain foods, you know, kind of mm-hmm. make you feel that mm-hmm. way. Um, I think photographs are, are almost better than saying even having video of my father. And I do have a little bit of video of my father, not as much as I, not as much as somebody now who died would just considering, you know, our little video phones and things. Sure. Um, but it's, it's, it's interesting. I've only seen one photograph of your father. Okay. And I, and from that photograph, I've kind of built, uh, you know, a whole mythology. A, a very, yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, no, a very rudimentary outline of, of what he must have been like. Yeah. You know, you, yeah. you get an, uh, an impression and yeah. it's the one in the record store. Okay. Yeah. Sitting, sitting at the desk. Yes. Um, which is funny because I took photographs of my father. He died in September. He was diagnosed like in February at uh, pancreatic and liver cancer. Um, and I took some pictures of him in April. I think it was. Um, and then I took some pictures of him on a blue background. I also d- took some pictures of like our whole family, like the four of us, mm-hmm. um, which my sister still can't look at. See, I, I never got a chance. My, my mother hated having her photograph taken. Absolutely hated it. Okay. As, as like a, as a, as a very planned kind of thing or in general, in general, planned or in general, whether, whether it was staged um, she had one portrait taken, uh, maybe 10 years ago. Um, and every time I tried to take her photograph, she wouldn't hear of it, especially when she got sick. See, yeah, um, that's interesting. And I never, you know, I don't have any photographs of us together as adults, really. Now, does that upset you? Yes. It, what would you have done differently? Would you have made her? No, because then that wouldn't have been genuine. It would have been her holding still for me. Right. And uh, this is, this is heavy stuff, but it's, but it wrecks me that I don't have any. Right. Exactly. No. Yeah. No, I totally understand that. Um, it's, it's, it's a very, very strange, it's a strange thing, but you know, I found, you know, I, uh, my father, I used to like, we used to fight a lot and, and a whole lot of things I don't really need to get into now, but there was a picture that somebody sent me 
like one of my relatives of me at age, maybe age four or five and my father and I like holding hands, looking out at the ocean surf on the beach. Hmm. And, um, my father looks like me from behind, right? Oh, Cause wow. he was probably mid thirties at the time. So then you probably look like Bert in a year or so or something. Exactly. I look like yeah. my nephew Bert and it's, yeah. it's looking at it now. It's, I don't remember the moment. I don't, you know, I, I don't have many memories like that of he and I that sort of are, are, are that kind of, you know, that sure. kind of take me back there. So but you have that photograph. Yeah. But in some ways, isn't that, that's almost a fantasy, right? Because well, yeah, it happened, gonna, gonna, but like I am, I'm reading into it something that probably really wasn't there. But what's wrong with that? Yeah, I don't know. And it, that's, mean, that's certainly something though, that, 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 um, that photographs do that. I don't think a lot of other things do, you know, when it comes to memories, like sure. that, like that there it's capturing a moment that that moment could be much bigger than that photograph. Does that, I don't know if that makes sense. No, it makes, it makes perfect sense. And, and I, I would even go further in that if you had, let's say video or, or, then super eight film of that moment. Right. You would be able to see that it wasn't much beyond what it is, but because you only have a photograph, that photograph allows a grander memory. <sighs> yeah, no, it does. You know, and, and I think, you know, it's one of the things that, that, that I, I think about with, with video today is, is video by and large, there's no room for interpretation. Right. You see it as it was. Yeah. Whereas a still image, because it's just, it's just that, that moment when the curtain drops, you know, separating time, stopping time, you know, that you've got that, you've got that moment that you can build around. Yeah. And, and I think whether or not it's, it's accurate or truthful or, 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 you know, uh, anything else, it is honest because you're building an honest memory of maybe not the way it actually was, but the way you would like it to have been. Right. And that's, and that's, that's the, 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 the power of photography in some way. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Um, and, I, and, I, but I don't know if that, if that, if that is dangerous because it's not real, you know what I mean? But, but what is real? Yeah, I guess you're right. I, I guess, you know, I, you know, people talk about how um, their house burns down or a tornado comes through. And the one thing that they want are the photographs. Sure. Um, and that, By and I, large. And that, yeah. and that goes, I think that goes back to, for a lot of us, that goes back to, uh, I mean, one of our earlier episodes about like printing things out, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like having it on paper and giving it to somebody that there's something to that, even if it's a digital picture, you know, even if you're doing it um, and make sure you back your stuff up, you know, because yeah. it's like there are pictures I was down visiting my uh, nephew this weekend. And and even though, you know, my sister or Heather or whoever took a picture of, say, me and Bert reading a book um, that 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 it's on a crappy iPhone or whatever it is. It's not like it's like super high end shot. There's still, it's like, this is a, this is a moment in time. Like you're, you're recording your life. And I think that a lot of photography, I need to get better about using photography to record my own life 
as opposed to using it to record other people's or to create lives that never really existed or to make people look like more than they are. I mean, so much of my job as a portrait photographer is creating, creating, uh, uh, something, something special out of something mundane, you know, sure. It's some guy who owns some, uh, hedge fund and he makes a hundred million dollars a year and I'm taking his picture for business week who cares? You know, he's in some office or whatever it is. I'm trying to make something that is more than just some guy standing in an office in a $3,000 suit. Um, but in some ways my own problem is that I'm not, I don't use it well enough to record, uh, you know, Heather and I, or me and Bert or my mother or, you know, those kinds of things. Um, so maybe that's maybe that's your next project. You've been looking for another project. Yeah, I th- but I think th- but this is almost like an ongoing thing, isn't it? I mean, that's a bigger. Sure. But why not? Yeah, I mean, this is that's more of a this is more of a larger precept than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, just... I I do agree with you though about the power of photography, and I and I I hope that I hope that people listening take some time and explore that if they haven't already. If there are, you know, if that's something that, that you're looking at, at photography as more of an end product, um, really look at, at what it can do and, and what it allows us to do. Well, you also, you don't know, you don't know what picture is going to be important when you take it, mm-hmm. you know, um, there, there are, there are pictures, there's a picture of myself and my sister and my father, um, I'm blowing up a beach ball. My sister's blowing up some orange seal, like blow up thing. And my father's blowing up like a yellow, uh, like, a you know, a, a floaty kind of thing. Sure. And it's a dorky picture that like my mother took of the three of us standing in the kitchen, you know, and that picture means more to me, um, than that moment could have possibly meant at the time. Sure. You know, and and has probably gained momentum and and built its own gravity over the course of your life. Yeah, it's it's got its own mythology. Sure, you know, um, that 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 I don't know. It's just it's just the whole thing is just fascinating to me. Um, and and the the more that I understand how photography works, the more fascinating it gets. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's almost like sometimes you forget the simple things when you get into the complex things. Um. And why do you think that is? Because you're so busy trying to master the more complex things that you let those other things go away? Yeah, I, you know, I, I was considering going to music school when, uh, when I first went to college, I went to the University of Connecticut for engineering for a couple of years. And about a year in, I was like, God, I don't want to be an engineer. I just realized I didn't want to be an engineer. And I was considering going to uh, music school and I had applied to Berkeley and I'd gotten in, but I hadn't decided whether I was going to go. And my sister, uh, her undergrad is in anthropology and I was at a party with her and a bunch of her friends. Um, and there was this one guy whose name I can't remember now, uh, who I, uh, uh, Tim, his name was Tim and Tim and I were talking about how I, I was worried that the more I learned about music, that, that by explaining the magic, it wouldn't be magical to me anymore. In terms of the more you learned about the mechanics behind it? Yeah. If okay. I know why this particular chord makes people feel that way, then it somehow loses some of what made it amazing. 
you know. See, but that's rubbish. Well, this is, I mean, look, I was 18, right? 19, right? But uh, this is the kind of stuff I was thinking about. And he said to me, it's funny. You remember these? Here's another example. Like if I had taken a, somebody had taken a picture of me and Tim having this conversation, would I now think 20 years later that I would still be thinking about this conversation at some party, you know? (laughs) Um, and, and basically his argument was once you know the magic, once you understand the magic, then the, the good stuff comes from watching other people enjoy the magic. You know what I mean? Okay. Being okay. able to produce the magic, then the the magic comes from seeing the reaction in other people. Okay. Which I thought was a fairly interesting way to put it. Um, and it which still kind of gets you back to why you make pictures. Yeah, and and sometimes you know, look, you and I have conversations offline where you know we're in good moods, we're in bad moods, we we're up, we're down. Um. And I, I, you know, whether or not that's part and parcel of being an artist, blah, blah, I, who cares, right? Right. Um, but there is a sense that we sometimes forget the, 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 the basics, you know, it's like we're alive, we're experiencing each other through time, you know, we make friendships and, and, and find lovers and we, you know, there are new children and people die and all this kind of stuff and, it's, you know, what's the old John Lennon thing? Uh, you know, life's what happens while you're making other plans. Right, right. And a lot of times I feel like life is um, life is happening while I'm trying to think of other plans to make, you know? It's but are you even, paying too much attention to those other plans? Uh, sometimes I feel like I am. Yeah. And and when it comes to these these sort of times of the year when... I, I used to date this girl whose father uh, died of cancer um, a year before I met her. And I kind of, while we were dating for a couple of years, I kind of helped her get through some of that and, and sort of, you know, deal with some of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, it was, it was, there was this sense that after my father died, you know, years later, um, I talked to her about it and it was interesting because to me, the death of my father made everything that I do much more important. You know, there was, there was, there was a sense of immediacy. There was a, there was like a desperate sense of fitting stuff into the time that I've left. Sure. You know, and which you can't possibly know. So that makes it even more imperative. Right. But, but part of the problem with that is that, you know, you, you, that doesn't work either for her though. It, the, the, it did the opposite. It made her like these smaller things, you know, Okay. that it wasn't about becoming this great thing or whatever it is. It was about enjoying time with her husband or, right. or her child or, you know, having conversations or, like or this. A cup of coffee with a friend. Or, or recording a podcast. Right. Or recording a podcast. And. Which we have to fight not to do more than once a week. <laughs> right. But. <laughs> right. Well, that's a good thing. Right. But. Yeah. 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 But in, in some ways I feel like. Um. Both of those things are true. And and I think that I was wrong in thinking it's all about the big things. But I also think that it's not right to just think about the small things like that. There's that there's room for both of those things and they are not diametrically opposed that they are all and to quote Robert Persig, like they are all of high quality, you know? Right. Um, well, that's 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 the real trick, though, isn't it? 
that's that's finding a balance that really is sort of the big the big picture of of why we're here isn't it yeah absolutely um and but I, and i think that that is that is what i try to accomplish with my more artistic work is I want to make things of high quality so that they sort of tick both of those boxes Mm -hmm. that I enjoy the moment of making them. And that was special, but that they are special beyond that moment because they're really good, you know? Yeah. Um, trying, trying to, trying to, to, to be the slave of two masters. And, and I think it's, it's a delicate tightrope walk. Sure. Um, But I guess for, for listeners of the show, I guess it's just a reminder not to worry so much and, and to, you know, take the opportunity to use your camera to record your own life and not just like what you're eating and, and, you know, the fact that you're walking by some building, but like take pictures of the people who are in your life. People I know recently like went on a big trip and they came back and I was looking at their pictures and it was like a lot of pictures of the place that they were, but very few pictures of them in that place. And I was like, you know what? you can get plenty pictures of, you know, the Thames. How many pictures of you in front of the Thames are there? Right. Um, and that's like Heather and I are going out to, um, San Francisco and Yosemite and Sequoia and and down to LA in in a few weeks. And there's a, there's a big part of it for me where I, I would tend to go and try to be Ansel Adams or to, you know, make something artistic and grand. Right. But I think I need to turn all that around and make it more about us. Yeah. No, I, I a hundred percent agree. That's what we did when we were, when we were there. I think we've talked about it. Uh, I know we've, we've written about it on faded and blurred where we couldn't capture, you can't capture it first of all. And if you think you can capture it, you've never been there because if you had been there, then you'd know you can't capture it. Right. Uh, but that's that's exactly how how Nick and I approached it. Is we we shot the way we shoot. We shoot details. We shoot you know little things that that maybe aren't great photographs, quotes, right? But mean something to us. Did you get a lot of pictures of the two of you? We got a few. Yeah. Right. I just I think half that's, a dozen maybe. I think that's what I need to do more of. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have three slices left of Polaroid 55. I think I might use them on us in Yosemite. That would be cool. Yeah. I can't carry my four by five around. I need a smaller one. Maybe I could borrow my friend's Wista and take some four by five pictures. Is that like a collapsible? Yeah. That's like one of those Rosewood collapsible Ah, ones. Okay. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this other than there's, there's just this sense of, There is a, there is a larger, there is a place for photography in your larger life. Sure. And I think some people relegate it to a little hobby or something they throw up on Facebook when they take a picture of a, you know, a manhole cover that's interesting or something. And I think that's fine. I think that in some ways it, it pays to be a little more conscious of those things, you know? Okay. Sure. I don't know. I don't know. It's, you know, it's connection. It's connection. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a weird, weird thing. Hey, um, what's a, what's the photographer of the week? Well, you know, 
That's a perfect segue, actually, because uh, the photographer of the week, um, sure, he was known for his photographs, but if you, if you listen to the people that worked with him or sat for him or modeled for him, it was the connection that he was able to make with them that they still remember, not necessarily the photographs. So we're talking about Herb Ritz this week. Yeah. Herb Ritz. Uh, you like Herb Ritz, yeah? Uh, I do like Herb Ritz. Uh, he is an interesting guy. Um, I like the black and white thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that he was one of those photographers who, I mean, talk about quality. I mean, his stuff is like impeccably done. Yes. Um, and he also is kind of a big fan of that whole, um, uh, the, uh, the sort of tinting of images, Mm -hmm. you know, he Mm -hmm. has that platinum look to a lot of his stuff. Right. There's that classic shot of the five models all crumpled up together naked. Yep. That that shot's ridiculous. Yeah. How do I get five models to come to my house? You know, I, I don't know. I don't know. But it, it, apparently it was, you know, there's a, we put up a video and we'll put it in the show notes. Uh, it's a 12 minute or so documentary uh, showing how he shot and interviews with people who he shot, Naomi Campbell and Tatiana Petit and, you know, some different models and photographers that worked with him. Uh, um, Ralston, Matthew Ralston. Sure. Uh, and, and apparently this, you know, one of the things that they said about him was, you know, people by and large are comfortable around the people that they grow up around, right? So if okay. you're a, if you're a, if you grow up in a mining town, a, you're, you're or coal mining town, you're comfortable around coal miners, right? Right. Well, apparently Herb Ritz grew up living next door to Steve McQueen and and was sort of imbued with the culture of Hollywood from a very young age. So he was very comfortable around celebrities. Okay. And, and consequently was able to make them very comfortable around him. Okay. Uh, and, and it's a, it's a fascinating look into, into how he shot. And, uh, I don't know. I, I, I can't say enough about him. He's in, he's probably in my top five. There's something about Herbert's too. He's got the, because of the, uh, like a lot of those sort of like semi nude, like really good looking guy kind of photographs too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, he's sort of like the. The safer poor man, like uh, not poor man's, the safer Maplethorpe. You know what I mean? Because he's got like a lot of almost like homoerotic shots too. Absolutely, and yeah. that that are kind of like okay, you, you could see them from all different angles. You know, mm-hmm. um, but there's there's something about them that that just gives them, in, in my opinion, and not to disrespect Maplethorpe, but it gives them a notch up. There there's an elegance to them, whether it's shape or the way he used. Because uh, he was a big fan of very harsh light, yep. natural light, uh, but wasn't afraid to let things blow out to white. wasn't let wasn't afraid to let shadows go to black. Right. Yeah. You know. So there's a there's an intensity to his work that that offsets the sort of sensuality to it. I think. Uh, I I agree. It's it's. I mean, there's an intensity, but there's also like this elegance to it all. Sure. Absolutely. Um, it's interesting. Almost all black and white except for very few like color shots mm-hmm. and even the color shots are not, I mean, they're color almost like because somebody requested that they had to be color. Not that he would really wanted them to be color. Like they could work as black and white as well. Sure. Um, sure. It was, yeah, this is, he's interesting stuff. Uh, yeah. And uh, very unfortunate. He was only 50 when he died. Yeah. AIDS, right? 
he had HIV, but apparently what happened was they were on a shoot in the desert and uh, it was very dusty. I mean, if, if you've seen any of his stuff, he shot, you know, out on the desert a lot and it was very dusty and windy and a lot of people on the shoot came home complaining of, of you know, coughing and, and uh, it led for him it led to pneumonia, which escalated and, and apparently that's, that's how he died. Interesting. So, kind of a bummer. Yeah, sad. So he was 50 when he died, so I have 13 years left. My father, you know, that's funny thing. My father died at 60, like a few days after his 60th birthday. And so uh, he, he he said that he never thought he'd make it to 60. Um, hmm. My father had had cancer for like 20 years on and off. Right, right. And so, but it's funny, like when he died, I was 30 and he was 60. And I had this thing in my head, like I have 30 years to do all the things that I want to do. And sometimes really? I get these weird panic attacks because I feel like I haven't done enough in the past seven years. Like I haven't gone far enough since he died to warrant seven years of work. Oh, I think you've gone plenty far. Yeah. These are, the, this is like the crazy stuff that gets in your head. Yeah, it, it is. It can be really messed up. Ah, good stuff. Anything else you want to add? Way to bum everybody out at the end, Wadman. Sorry, Jeffrey. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do my best not to do that ever again. Would you? Would you please not? Yeah, I know. It's, out loud. It's kind of embarrassing. Uh, so yeah, Her- Herb Ritz, please go check him out. Uh, if you if you don't know his work, you probably will recognize some things. Either uh, the I mean, it, the Cindy the, Crawford the, pictures, uh, the, the the Playboy layout that he did for Cindy Crawford was yeah. stunning. Yeah. Um, uh, the, the, the octopus on Jaimon Hunsu's head, uh, brilliant, iconic shot. Um, you know, it is a lot of that stuff. That's a lot of that is, uh, uh, trust. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. And, and in some ways I feel like a lot of times I feel like I do things too minimal, mm-hmm. um, and that I need to, but the, the problem, the trick is to, uh, not become, uh, uh, contrived and yet not be boring. Does that make sense? Sure. And I think that he toes that line incredibly well. Yeah. In a way that I wish I only could. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, good yeah. stuff. Yeah. Very good stuff. Anything else? Uh, I think I'm good. Hey, uh, I, you know, I just wanted to say a couple things to finish this up here. Um, which is to say that we love doing this show. Sure. Um, we love uh, the 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 feedback we get from you guys, um, and we love all that kind of stuff. We really want to spread out and get as many listeners as we can. So if that means you know some photographers who listen to podcasts or don't listen to podcasts, if you could talk to one or two of them and sort of spread the word a little bit, if anybody's got a site that they uh, want to do an article on us or an interview, like we're open to that kind of thing. Or sure. anybody's got some press contacts that you think would uh, spread the word a little bit, that would be great. Um, but just uh, keep the feedback coming. What, what's our uh, email address? Uh, you can reach us at podcast at ontakingpictures.com uh, or our brand new phone number. Uh, well, it's not brand new now. It's a couple weeks old. Yeah. What are you waiting for, people? Call in. 347-687-9411. Call in and say hi. Call in and say hate the show stop go be gardeners or you know whatever i'm gonna start gardening now right 
Um, <laughs> Bonsai. Yeah, and, and yeah. go on and go on iTunes and and give us a review because that helps too. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else? Nope. Uh, right. Remember, next week we're going. To, oh wait, did you delete it from the notes? Next week we're talking about uh, it's up top. Up top. Uh, yeah. Do limits help inspire hurt creativity? All of the above. Yes. No. Uh, if you've got some thoughts on it and you want to be heard, uh, call in, write in, let us yep. know. Sounds good. Uh, and we'll get to that next week. All right. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs>